Drip, Trip, and Spill, a podcast made only for the bowl. Keeping it real no matter the cost. And now, the man behind the mic, Matty Ice. You know what that sound means? It means another episode of Drip, Trip, and Spill. Welcome back to the show. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. If you're listening on the Block 105 or in the podcasting world, visit MattyIceMedia.com for all of your podcasting needs, including Bruh, It's a Podcast, and Political Football. So I want to talk about some things that have really made me happy. I feel like the last few episodes, especially the last couple of weeks, I've really dived into some serious stuff. I mean, this week we talked about Fred Savage and Hollywood craziness. We talked about sneakers and how I feel like sneaker culture has lost its way. But let's talk about some fun stuff. So I'm very, very behind on this particular show, but I love television. I love movies. And really, it stems from, I guess, my love for content creation. Like as I've gotten older and I've leaned into this idea of Matty Ice, which is, of course, the podcaster, the video maker, all these different things, I've learned to appreciate the art of of art, essentially, as I've gotten older. And when I watch TV, I watch TV so differently than I used to watch it. Like when I watched The Sopranos back in the day, I watched it purely for what I was seeing on the screen, the story, the visceral nature of the show. And when I watched other shows, I kind of consumed my content in the very same way. As I've gotten older, though, I've started to appreciate what it takes to make good content. And I think the show that really got me onto that train and started us down this whole path was Breaking Bad. Still one of my favorite shows of all time. Still houses the greatest episode of dramatic television I've ever seen in my life. There are many shows that end up on lists of people's, you know, favorite shows, Sopranos, you name it. The Wire is a show that has shown up for a long, long time, and it's a show that I have been told living in this area, I don't live that far from Baltimore, that I needed to catch, and I just never did. It's one of those that you know it's there, but it just seems to escape you, because as we get more and more into today's content world, we're inundated with content. Like, you can go out and find anything that you want And a lot of times what I find is when I find something I genuinely love, especially if they're continuing to give you new things and there's time in between, I end up going back and revisiting content because it's that good. So my wife and I finally had a lull period and we didn't know what to watch. And there it was. Sitting on HBO Max, there was The Wire. Five seasons worth. Now, I will say this, and this is not a spoiler. Well, there will be spoilers in this episode, but this is not a spoiler to my overall opinion here. I have a rule, a general rule, when I look at television like this. So I don't take comedies in that way because I believe, at least for the most part, let's take sitcoms actually, because comedy in general can be split into a couple of categories. I'm talking about sitcoms. So I'm talking about your friends, your Seinfelds, Modern Family, things like that. Those are out of bounds for this rule because I think writing-wise, you can do a lot more there. But when you're talking about making movie-quality television, and we're talking longer episodes, I think that five seasons is generally the cutoff point where shows tend to take a dip afterward. If they stick to the formula of five seasons, for the most part, you're going to get great storytelling, great cinematography, and you're not really going to feel disappointed at the end. There are a handful of shows that I can think of that we're not going to talk about here that kind of strayed from that rule, and I think a lot of people would confirm my belief. Any Game of Thrones fans out there, you probably feel like it went on a few seasons too long. It certainly went on more than the than the source material would give you. Dexter, anybody? They're having to bring that back because they're almost 
Dallasing us and making it seem like that never happened. So five seasons is kind of my rule. Now, The Wire meets that criteria, which is funny because I didn't make that rule until Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad was five seasons and I felt like, you know what? Shows that are five seasons work. So The Wire makes that makes that happen. So I'm gonna go season by season with you because we watched them over time, over the last couple of months. And I think it's important to talk about all of them because they all bring something different and I think we can talk through them. This is a huge spoiler, obviously. I'm gonna talk about things that happened in the show because I'm going to. I feel like 15 years later after the finale, the statute of limitations is pretty much over with. So let's talk about the pilot for a second. We're not in a place now, I don't know how it works behind the scenes, but for a majority of my lifetime, a pilot represented people making a version or an episode of a show to try and sell that show to get picked up for a longer run. I don't know if that happens these days. I think for the most part, shows are picked up for a season before they end up getting cut. I don't know if they put together a pilot, that pilot ends up being the first episode. But in this case, it was still back in that time period. It's like 2002, where pilots were still a thing. There are shows with famously great pilots, and then there are shows with famously bad pilots. I kind of put this more toward the bad pilot, and I'll tell you why, because A pilot is really meant, again, to sell the idea of the show, the long story of the show. It's not meant to sell the show the way that the pilot is producing it. Because shows take a while to kind of get their groove, especially when it comes to storytelling, actors and actresses feeling comfortable in their roles, and even the writers. Even though the writers, I feel, have a long long idea, like they have a long form idea of what they want to accomplish with this content, I think that it takes a little bit of time for them to really kind of find their groove. And I think it's an an all-encompassing thing. And I feel like the pilot for The Wire leaned on a few different things that were a little bit, I guess, a little too heavy-handed. First of all, they swore way too much. Now, I will say, you've heard me cuss on this show. I am not above cussing. I'm not one of those prudish people who doesn't cuss. Actually, I shouldn't say prudish. I'm just not one of those people for whom cussing is offensive. But when it's used too much as a device in a show where you know that they're using it in a way that becomes, it's not helping the the, the material at all. It basically feels like it's overbearing. You notice it more. So their use of the F word, I mean, there was a scene, I think it was McNulty and Bunk, where that's basically the only word that they used. And the pilot left me feeling confused. I didn't really understand what the show was about from the pilot, but because I knew that it was successful... And because I knew that there were a lot more episodes to go, I didn't fall into the trap of saying, well, I don't really get the pilot, so I'm not going to move on. I also firmly believe that you need to get into it beyond the pilot because there's other shows for which the pilot really wasn't that great, but I love the show. Let's take Rick and Morty, for example. Really strange pilot with too much burping by Rick, but man, the rest of the show, so good. So we forged on with it. And we find out this world of Avon Barksdale. And Avon Barksdale, of course, is, is running the corners in Baltimore, the drug trafficking trade with heroin. But the police don't really know who he is. And the more the season goes on, you start to find out who these different players are. You find out who Omar is. You find out who Avon is. You find out who Stringer Bell is, which, by the way, Idris Elba was fantastic. And you find out this whole world is existing. But yet you still feel like the world is small. Like, you're not getting an entire glimpse into what this life is like. And then there's the dynamic between Avon and his cousin. And his cousin's name is, of course, it's escaping me right now, but his cousin, D'Angelo, D'Angelo Barkdale. D'Angelo comes back, and 
you know, he's trying to get into the game and he's trying to basically make his name for himself because his cousin or his uncle is is the man like Avon is the man and he's trying to forge his way there. And we see a lot of this dynamic over the season. We also see the idea and concept of what is a wiretap. Now, 20 years ago, a wiretap was ahead of its time. Today, it's archaic information. I don't even know what they do today. I mean, we have so many different ways in which information is shared. I would love to know how organized crime, both the mafia and gangs, actually do their business. It'd be fascinating to know. I think they've almost gone back to the stone age of communicating in person because communicating electronically, you're just all out there. So they build this narrative around these characters and you start to learn who they are and the police start to get into their groove of what they want to do with this investigation. Now, McNulty starts off pissing everybody off. You have people in narcotics who get thrown in. You have Daniels, who's a guy without a country, basically, looking to get promoted, seems to be held back by the people above him for things that he did a long time ago. You get this hodgepodge of people together, people that departments didn't want. And you could sense early on in the season that it was going to be a coming-of-age season, so to speak. These people were going to find their roles in this whole unit, and that's what happened. And by the end, they were able to get the Barksdale crew, at least to some extent, on some of these charges that happened. Now, this is where we were first introduced, really, to Michael B. Jordan, his character of Wallace. Sad ending for Wallace. That was some great work. I thought Michael B. Jordan was really great in his role. There was a lot of little things that happened that I won't get into, but it really established itself as, okay, so this is a really cohesive story that they told in a very small venue, this this crew here on a very select few corners in, in Baltimore, and how is it going to grow? So I like season one. I thought season one had an interesting ending, and I was curious as to how it would go, because when people get arrested at the end of a season, a la The Sopranos, you kind of wonder how it's going to affect the world that still exists, even those people are in jail. So season two comes along. Now, season two, I understand, is much maligned for the sole reason that it is very, very different from the other seasons. Obviously, Avon is in jail, but the Barksdale crew through Stringer Bell is still trying to make a name for themselves. And then you have this whole controversy at the port. And I thought that introducing the port, all the union stuff that comes along with it was very, very interesting. It took a little bit of time to get going. When, when you saw the Sabakas kind of get into their whole thing, and then the whole thing around the Greek, and they weren't Greek, they were probably Russian or Eastern European. And that whole thing started with the girls that were in the container, McNulty getting sent back to this unit, trying to figure this out, all these murders that are taking place. But percolating underneath all of it, you had everything being set up for what would end up being the finale of the show, really. When we get introduced to Prop Joe, we get introduced to the supply that they have. There's a whole lot of things that happen in that season. Season two served a purpose that you needed to wait to get to. And season three, I thought, is where things really, really picked up. So you get through season one, and season one was great. Had they ended it there, it would have been a nice little cop drama miniseries. Season two kind of adds a little bit of a layer. They pull you back just a little bit. It's kind of like, all right, you're here in this little speck. This is your town. And now all of a sudden you're looking at it from your county. Season three starts to pull it back even more. And all of a sudden you see the politics that come into it. You're looking at a possible new mayor of Baltimore and you're seeing the politics within these gangs because Avon gets out of jail on a technicality of some things that happen. And all of a sudden now Stringer Bell is trying to go legitimate because he wants to get out of this game because he sees himself as greater than the game. And ultimately, the game is the game. 
and the game gets him. Now, there's a whole bunch of things that happen with Omar and Avon bringing in people for security because they had given up corners to prop Joe and the east side and all these different things. Ultimately, it ends up in their demise because Avon gets arrested because he is found with enough guns and drugs that basically put him in jail for his whole lifetime. And Stringer Bell meets his demise because he basically gets sold out by Avon. Because what they come to realize, and this is really, really important, is that you can't have two people at the top. And if you're in this game, it's so very, very difficult to get out of it. No matter how legitimate you want to be or how legitimate you want to seem, it's almost impossible to get out of it. Stringer Bell tried to remove himself from the gangster part of that lifestyle. Killing people, beating on people. He wanted to be seen as legitimate. He wanted to be a true businessman. And in his, in his endeavors to be so, in his endeavors to split himself from that lifestyle, he got screwed. He got screwed by Senator Clay Davis. And he got taken for a lot of money. And in the end, they both didn't get what they wanted. And emerging through all of this is a young buck named Marlo. Now, Marlo is causing a lot of problems in season three. You don't really know a whole lot about him. You know that he is quietly trying to take his territory. He's not doing it the same way that Avon did back in the day, not through intimidation, not through violence. He's doing it through intimidation, but different intimidation. The scene where he meets Brody, I think that that's really, really interesting because he says, I'm being a gentleman about it for now. And that's all that he has to say. And Brody gives up his corner. So Marlo is starting to emerge and all these things happen. So Marlo, the door is open for him at the end of season three with Avon going away and Stringer Bell now not with, you know, not with us anymore. Season four adds the layer of the school system. Now, I was curious as to how that would all plan because I know from a budgetary perspective, the school system takes a lot of resources. But the whole idea about season three also was Major Coven trying to curb drug violence in certain areas by basically making it unofficially legal in certain areas, the parts with the vacants and so forth. He ended up getting fired. It was a whole thing that happened with it. And he ended up getting a part of the school administration because he wanted to still make a difference with young, what they called corner kids. And what we saw was the coming of age of these kids. Now, the interesting part is how season four started, where you saw the differences between the old school and the new school. The first season, or the first scene, I should say, when Snoop buys the nail gun. Interesting, where the guy says, this is the Cadillac of nail guns. And she goes back to the car and says, he meant Lexus, but he didn't know. And that's because the kids think of things differently. And season four saw all of these kids fall into these different roles, some good, some bad. And by the end of the season, what you saw was that no matter what the school system did, schooling wasn't really going to help these kids. Where they came from dictated so much about where their life was going to go and their mindset too, where they wanted to end up. They felt like outcasts. The scene where they go to the restaurant and they realize that they are so removed from the way that the rest of people live. And think about what I just said about celebrities a couple of episodes ago. We feel removed from their life. Imagine what it feels like to be somebody who people don't even recognize. When you go to a restaurant like that, would you recognize kids that came from areas like these kids came from? Probably not. I mean, anybody who lives in an inner city area, lives in a city, may pass these kids on a daily basis and not realize that they're being left behind, not because the schools don't try, but because we really don't understand that they never had another path in the first place. We're not actually trying to find a different path for them. And so all these kids fall into these different roles at the end of season four, but you get one glimpse into the future, and that's Naaman getting a chance with Major Colvin, or his name is Bunny or whatever. 
and you feel good about it. You feel good about, okay, one kid gets saved. And you got to think that that's enough. You got to think that that is enough to, to say this was worth it. And if one kid gets saved out of 20, well, that's good. Because it means it's one life that's given a chance to achieve bigger things in life. And then comes season five. Season five on that show was so disappointing. I know what they were trying to build toward. Adding all of the newspaper elements, adding all the budgetary elements with the new mayor and everything. I get it. I totally get it. But at the end of the day, it really felt like an insatisfactory conclusion to the show. Now, at the end of the show, Marlo loses all of his power through various means. People get fired. People retire. Many things happen. But what you generally tend to find at the end of the show is, is something that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Every main character that started this show from Bubbles to Bunk to McNulty, it seems like people stepped into these roles by the end of the show. Marlo takes a complete dive from being the king to all of a sudden not mattering. His name doesn't mean anything on the street. Omar's dead. Michael takes his place. The unfortunate one is Duquan taking over as Bubbles, getting addicted to heroin, being homeless. Sad. And then what she realizes is that so much of politics dictates so much of what happens in her lives, and it happens without us really knowing it. All these policies and backdoor meetings that get made, they dictate so much of what happens. Who gets promoted here? Who gets promoted there? What system gets what money? So many things we don't even get. I work for the federal government, and I don't even realize how many of these meetings take place. Imagine how many meetings take place at the White House over little things. How many promises are made? The show educated me, or I guess reinforced the idea that there's so much of life that I don't have control over and don't know about. There's so many things that happen behind closed doors that we don't know. We're blissfully ignorant to it. Maybe it's better that way. Maybe it is. But what I do know is that the farther and farther out you go from your little bubble, we all kind of live in a bubble to an extent. We're comfortable in our home. We're comfortable in our neighborhood. We're comfortable in our state. But once we start to get outside of there and we get a glimpse into how these things work, television is a great way to do that. It's a great medium to be able to do that because you get to see or story build or world build this way. Other successful shows have done the same thing. It's what made Breaking Bad so great. Starting with Walt's cancer to where it ended, insane world building. That to me is the best part. And that's where I felt like The Wire succeeded. So if I had to look at the show as a whole, I was satisfied. I felt like there was a lot of great character development, a lot of great writing. Two scenes really stick out to me. The scene of Avon and Stringer Bell before they betrayed each other, knowing they were going to betray each other, but not really knowing that the other was going to. I love the scene where Colvin goes to talk to Weebay about Naaman, and he says, you're asking too much. And Colvin just says, yeah, but I'm asking. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Great writing, great performances. You could feel the empathy there. And I felt like the show really did hit. Now, if I have to compare it to other shows that I've seen, I think that the last season really hurts it. I think it's okay for shows that have a run like this to have a season that maybe doesn't hit right. The Sopranos season one, two, three were pretty good. Four, I didn't appreciate until this new version of me that can see things from a more artistic perspective. Yeah, five and six were pretty good. So you got a lot of great content with one season that maybe wasn't the greatest. There were some, you could have done things a little bit better, but usually you don't want that to be your last season. And this is where I think shows like Dexter and Game of Thrones really failed how I Met Your Mother probably could be put in that category as well, even though I said comedies like that don't really exist. But when your final season 
doesn't feel satisfactory, it takes away from the overall love of the show. So while I think it's a very, very solid show and there is a lot to go back and revisit, that final season really left a taste in my mouth. So I'd probably give the show a very solid B plus because I think that that final season really dropped the grade a little bit. Had they had the same energy from season four, which was my favorite season, that show would have been vaulted into my top five probably. So if you haven't ever caught The Wire, I hope I didn't spoil too much about it. But if you haven't yet, I guess it's 15 years, so things are going to get spoiled and the internet's going to spoil them for you anyway. So go take a look at it. It's really good. Did you enjoy it? Let me know in the comments. Let me know. Drip Trip Spill on both Instagram and Twitter. MattySmedia at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. What TV shows are you watching these days? What do you got on docket? Maybe I'll add this to a normal segment each week on something that I'm watching or whenever I finish it. So... Trip of the Week, a segment where I bring you kind of a little bit of a wacky story from the world. So this one kind of hits close to home. And maybe it's not tripping because technology has advanced so much over the course of my lifetime. But Apple recently discontinued the iPod. Now, technically, they discontinued the last model of the iPod. But 20 years ago, the iPod debuted. I probably had three or four iPods in my lifetime. I love that thing. I was somebody who loved to have a lot of music at my disposal because I love to listen to music. And unfortunately, the iPod is no longer with us. Now, there's a lot of different ways to get music. There's a lot of means in which we can find the songs that we love. But man, the iPod being gone, it just feels like the end of an era. And having something to physically touch, CDs, records, even an iPod, it was digital music, but you had it right here. I used to plug it into my, my car and go on road trips, put it on shuffle. Those days feel like they're long past now. So seeing the seeing the the iPod discontinued man it just felt tripping to me because I'm getting old and the iPod felt like such a staple in my life for so long and now it's gone and we're never going to get it back crazy if you ask me hope everybody had a great great day I hope if you are watching that you are getting the sign of satisfaction that I got from the wire out of other things what makes you passionate in life I'd love to know and I can't wait to connect with even more of you as the weeks go by. So I appreciate everybody watching, listening, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And I will talk to you all next time. Peace, everybody. The opinions and viewpoints on Drip, Trip, and Spill are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Drip, Trip, and Spill is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you exclusively by the Matty Ice Media Network.